he doesn't stop because let's face it, he doesn't want to stop. What's up, Story Geeks? On today's podcast, we are digging deep into Iron Man's character journey in the MCU. And joining us to do that is Helen O'Hara from the Empire Podcast. If you remember, we recorded a Captain America character journey with her about a year ago. Go back and check that out. And we're going to round out the trilogy of the big three. So she's going to do this one, and we're going to do Thor coming up on another episode. So today she joins me and Jay Shear to dig deep into Iron Man's character journey. And this is episode one in our special MCU series leading up to Avengers Endgame. Next week, we've got a nerd fight where we'll be determining who is the best Spider-Man. And then after that, Helen will be back again to help us dig into Thor's character journey. And then we've got a couple other great episodes after that leading up to Endgame, so don't miss any of that. To hear more of our thoughts about Iron Man, like blogs from Ashley and Anthony, or to share your thoughts, head over to thestorygeeks.com. And while you're there, we'd love it if you'd become a supporter. If you support The Story Geeks on Patreon, you'll get access to all of our premium content, including aftercasts and audiobooks. On today's aftercast, we're going to talk about some of the other characters that we haven't had a chance to dig into yet. So become a premium supporter and unlock access to that right now. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Now let's dig deeper into Iron Man. Well, we did our Captain America journey with you, Helen, and we felt that it was only right to have you come in and complete the trilogy of the big three. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. Pleasure. Yeah, good to be back. I guess some people could argue that the big three should actually include Hulk if you look at the comics, but it just doesn't work that way in the MCU. Yeah, uh, he, he, his solo films just haven't been right, have they? So yeah, uh, uh, so yeah, yeah. Th- this feels like the right big three. Yeah, I think so. You got to go with the guys that each get their own trilogy. Yeah. It just makes sense. Um, so let's just dive in. And our usual big top of the top question when mm-hmm. we do these is, where does this character fit into your favorite MCU characters? So where's Iron Man on your list, Helen? Well, in terms of great characters, he's really high. In terms of my favorite, he's probably a bit lower. Um, not because, like, I appreciate him a lot, but obviously he went to war against Cap, so, like, mega, <laughs> yeah. mega bonus points. Mega negative Major. bonus points there. Yeah. What do you think, Jay? Yeah, I have him uh, I have him at number six. I actually, like, ranked him. You actually yeah. went through it. <laughs> I went wow. It, yeah. Yeah, he's between Killmonger at five and Peggy Carter at seven. Okay. So, yeah, he's not nearly as high as... I, I've got Cap at four, T'Challa at three, Spider-Man at two, and Rocket Raccoon at one. So interesting. interesting. He, he's still a solid character. Still oh, love he's him, great. He's not yeah. top. Yeah. yeah. I... Think, go ahead. Sorry. I think no, maybe he's a little bit harder to love because he doesn't need it. You know, there's there's, <laughs> there's not very much... There, there has been vulnerability. I don't mean he's not vulnerable, but, you know, he, he has a lot already. Um so I kind of feel like you know he's okay without my fandom. He has a lot of fans, you know. Yeah, that's true. I actually think I lo- I love him more because I think that it's a facade that he doesn't mm. need it. So like because I believe he actually does need it, but puts up a facade. And maybe that's just because I'm speaking out of my own <laughs> my own personality. <laughs> but like uh, I think that that's one of the reasons why I think I now granted he doesn't get up to to cap levels, but he's close. I mean he's. Cap is four, Iron Man is six, so mm. I tend to I tend I tend to kind of love the characters that reject love as an option. <laughs> Killmonger is number five. I mean, what are you gonna do? Man, you're evil. I uh, know. Um, for me, he's kind of low, to be honest. He really? might he wow. might be in the top ten. If he is, he's on the bottom half of it. 
But I mean, I got to put people like Cap and T'Challa. Um, I really like Carol Danvers. I'm I'm excited mm. about the future for her. Um, we've talked a little bit about that movie, and we think there's some clunkiness to it, but the character mm. is fantastic. Um, and then I would also go with, I think there's some other really interesting female characters. Like I love Wanda and Gamora and Okoye. So for me, there's a, yeah. there's a healthy list of people above Tony. Yeah. Okoye is amazing. Um, Peggy Carter, obviously a favorite. It's, it's I mean, they have an embarrassment of riches. This, they do. This studio, really. They Groot. Really do. You know, we haven't even talked about Groot. <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's do this movie by movie. Let's okay. walk through each of the movies that Iron Man is in. Um, I'm not including The Incredible Hulk unless you have an extreme objection to that. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so um, we'll just start with the first Iron Man film. And as we usually do, we're going to talk about just what are the guiding themes for Tony in each of these films. So, um, Helen, why don't you kick us off with the first Iron Man film? Yeah, I feel like this film is about him waking up a little bit um, and also, in a way, becoming slightly more woke to his privilege in a way as well. Mm. I feel like he realizes that he has been given a lot in life, been given a lot of advantages, and it's only when those are taken away, most of them at least, not his intelligence, that he realizes there have been consequences to his irresponsibility and that there have been consequences to his lack of care and attention to everything that he's been given and so i think there's a there's a you know it's kind of a coming of age story i mean it's a bit later than the traditional one um but it's it, it kind of is a coming of age it's it's him realizing that what it means to be an adult and what it means to kind of take responsibility because he's always had control he's always had uh, options um choices whatever else but he he hasn't particularly had any problems that we're aware of that he hasn't been able to solve you know he lost his parents i'm sure that was very hard but he doesn't seem to have dealt with anything Mm. so i think this is him meeting something that he can't just laugh off that obadiah stain won't fix for him uh or his or his parents i'm sure before obadiah um that pepper can't sort out on his behalf that happy can't deal with He's kind of left on his own maybe for the first time and, and is forced to reckon with the kind of person he wants to be. Um, and luckily for everybody involved, he decides he wants to be a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. And then, that's of true. course, that's a little bit difficult. So I feel like all the other films are essentially him trying to figure out how to do that to some mm. extent, at least. Yeah. Yeah, I have literally my first line is, it's his awakening. <laughs> so like, <laughs> same thing. And I think he goes from this like distracted, spoiled billionaire playboy under mm. the shadow of his dad's legacy to a spoiled billionaire playboy who discovers that his dad's <laughs> On legacy... On his own terms. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, he discovers his dad's legacy is hurting people and that he needs to forge a new legacy out of that, right? Like, yeah. So it's like, oh, my dad's legacy, which would be the most comfortable thing for me to follow, is something that I need to break and need to do something different. So it's actually a very similar character journey in a lot of ways to T'Challa in Black Panther. Because it's, yeah. uh, I mean, you said it, Helen, it's a person of privilege waking up to the world outside of his or her tribe yeah. and choosing to help those who are outside of the realm of his or her tribe. Mm. Um, and I think that his father's tribe, wa- his father was rooted in his tribe. Howard Stark is USA to the, to the core, right? Yeah. So I think he's just saying, no, that, that legacy hurt people. I'm going to move past that. Yeah. And I think um, Yinsen is really important in that respect. Sean Tube's character. Um, Mm. You know, it's really the first time you get the impression that he's ever had to spend a a concentrated amount of time with someone who isn't also rich and gifted and everything else. So 
you know, it, it's, I think, I think it's really important that he was, he was there um, to mm-hmm. kind of midwife him through this, this rebirth or whatever you want to call it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. As is often the case for, for people with privilege, like they just have no clue that the outside world exists in the way that it does, or <laughs> they attribute it to the, it being those people's fault. Yes. Um, and I think that, that you're hundred percent right. He basically un he unavails, uh, what the world actually looks like for Tony Stark in a way yeah. that Tony would never even have known. Um, yeah, I think in a lot of ways, uh, Iron Man is really the backbone to the Marvel Universe. And you talked about T'Challa having a similar character journey. Yeah. I think we don't realize just how much we owe Jon Favreau and the writers of this mm. film on setting up, not a template per se, but a way of telling a story and growing a character yeah. that they've yeah. really used heavily throughout the entire franchise. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the confidence of that first film is, is astonishing. I just watched it again the other night and just the, the, you know, the way everything clicks, the casting, you know, like how many Oscar nominees I can't even count. It's, yeah. you know, it's just, it's a, it's a beautifully put together film. If, if you told me that was the 20th in the Marvel universe, I'd be like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Cause they figured out what works now, you know? Yeah. Um, totally yeah well let's go to iron man 2 mm. jay why don't you kick us off on iron man 2 i i realized something as we were going through as i was going through the notes taking notes on each of these and that's that the better films have tony stark having much more of a change and yeah. i don't really know what the change is for here it was a little bit tough for me to come up with a change because it's kind of tony battling his own hubris being a sought after billionaire hero with the realization that he's going to die and then therefore has to have some humility in the fact that he's not going to continue. So he's already crafting his own legacy, but because he's dying, that legacy starts to seem futile to him. So that leads him to escape to some drinking, to some partying. We see kind of like him trying to escape things, but I'm not exactly sure. And maybe you guys can shed light for me Mm -hmm. on like, what is his compelling choice here besides doubling down on his drive and initiative to solve his own problems? Like, I don't know that there's a lot of change there. It's just kind of like, he's like, he just snaps into that mode. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. There's not a lot of change here for me. If someone's going to have a good answer to that, it's going to be Helen. (laughs) Yeah. No pressure. No pressure. No, I I think, I think there's actually a lot to that. I think that this film is, uh, it's a strange one. I think he comes into it, obviously in that, in that scene in the Senate, open you know early on extremely confident literally i am your nuclear deterrent um so he feels like he's not only kind of solved himself he's solved world peace and the only slight downside is he's going to die of it but no biggie you know everything else is fine (laughs) and it's so it's this weird combination of overconfidence and huge vulnerability um and then he's once again forced to deal with the kind of this reckoning of the past in the case of vanco and also his own past in the case of Hammer, his own rival, even though he's just so stupid <laughs> in comparison. Um, but so so it's it's kind of once again kind of, you know, dealing with those ghosts and trying to figure out a new way of being. And, and that does include, I think one of the most significant things in this film is essentially that he allows and empowers Rhodey to steal the, uh, the war machine suit. I mean, yes. steal in the sense, but like he, he has the option of revoking his access and he doesn't ever take it. And, you, you know, he's actually set it up so he can access everything. And so there's a, there's an element of I'm telling you, the government, that you can't steal my suit, but actually I kind of want you to have it. I think this is where we, we begin to see 
a little bit more of his uh, his him trying to figure out what safety is. Um, what does safe look like for himself? What does safe look like for other people? What does safe look like for the world? And that's going to become a real theme, certainly after Avengers, but going into Iron Man 3 in particular, but also Civil War in a huge way and Age of Ultron in a huge way. Um, him, He gets this obsession with, okay, I figured out how to keep me safe. How do I keep everybody else I care about safe? Um, wow. And I think there's there's little roots of that here. It's not that fully developed like it will be in Iron Man 3 and Ultron, but it's there. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this is like, and this might sound harsh, but to me, this is the most removable film. Yeah, it is. MCU. Well, and... it is, it is, but it, it introduces a lot of, of moving parts. It introduces Natasha. It introduces a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff that we didn't know before. Um, those are the things that felt artificial at the time and, and that's something the mcu occasionally struggles with ultron as well uh you know it's, the, it's like why are you doing all this other stuff get back to the story you know um so i think it's one of those films with a lot of moving parts where you can actually see the gears turning yeah. uh, which is never ideal we got to re-record the meg podcast and see what you can do with that one Helen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i mean we had a great time with ali plum that was really fun but <laughs> You you might actually be able to pull some themes out of that movie. Because May, we couldn't I mean, do it. Yeah, <laughs> no, it. I'm I'm I don't think I got anything for that one. Uh, okay, let's move on to the Avengers, the mm. first Avengers film. How, where do you see Tony in that one, Helen? Um, I I love this film. Obviously, um, it's it's absolutely phenomenal. But I also really love that they, and and I think this is credit to both Marvel and Joss Whedon and Robert Downey Jr. himself. They didn't make Tony the full focus of the film. Uh, right. They made it a genuine team because he was by far the biggest star in that cast. He was by far the highest grossing of the phase one films. It would ma have made total sense to make it the Tony and Friends show. Um, and what I love is that the whole film is about um, everybody learning to work as a team, but particularly some, someone like him, it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come naturally. Um, so you have the immediate headbutting of, of uh, himself and Cap. Um, and yet the, the strange mutual, I think we talked about this in the Cap one, but the strange mutual respect at the same time you know mm. um i think i think i think cap respects him in the same way that he respected um howard's abilities and and brain um and i think that tony you know ha has kind of awe for this character from his childhood so there's this really weird relationship from that between them to begin with but i think the to get back to the point of the question um that the theme of this in terms of Tony is that line that Cap throws at him when they're arguing, which is that you're not the guy to make the sacrifice play. And the fact is that he is the guy who risks mm. it all. And I think mm. that's really important. I think maybe for himself as much as anybody else um, to realize that he has that in him. Mm. That's a better answer than I had. I, I, think that, like, <laughs> I think the dialogue is so on the nose on this one, in a good way, in a, mm. in a funny way. But yeah. like, he doesn't play well with others, and yeah. that's a problem, right? Yeah. So uh, I think Helen nailed it. I think the one thing I would, um, that I would say, because I'm usually not a big Josh Whedon fan, mm. um, but there's a guy that did a video. His name is Patrick Willems, and mm -hmm. he does these really intense videos about film. And he has the best defense for Joss Whedon um, that I've heard. And okay. it's all about this, his ability to deal with a team and his ability yeah. to put a team on screen in a really compelling way. Mm. And as you talked about Tony fitting into that, Helen, I mean, it's, 
it's instrumental the way that Josh Whedon handles this film because it is a team film. There's yeah. not any one person that stands out and Tony needs that at this point in his journey. So it's yeah. kind of all the, all of the, like you talked about with the first Iron Man, all of the stars are aligning to make this work really well, which is so cool. I mean, this film should never have worked. This is a an experimental <laughs> film, right? This is mm. something that had never been attempted in Hollywood history. Four franchises risked on one film. Um, all of these characters, all of these moving parts, all of these different tones and genres almost when you throw in, throw in mm. Thor. Um, yeah trying to get those all to work together. I mean, it, I genuinely think that, you know, it does take a Joss Whedon or maybe someone like a James Gunn uh, to make that happen because that is, it's an astonishingly difficult feat and, and the failure of a lot of different, you know, copycats and a lot of different other ensemble films has shown you how difficult it is. Um, mm. I would happily watch this film with the action removed and just watch oh, yeah. them hang out. But, but also, you know, even during the action, there are character moments. Um, I, yeah. I love... I love to death the fact that Iron Man isn't the guy in charge of their strategy when they're fighting. It's Cap. Um, because he's the guy with the war experience. Of course he is. So you deploy Iron Man like a weapon. It's brilliant. Mm. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. And it does move Tony forward in a really interesting way. I think it yeah. shows him how big the threats are. Yes. yes. You know, it, it's no longer just people taking advantage of his tech and fighting robots and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> right. Now there's aliens. Now there's yeah. insane things that he doesn't understand at all. Yet, yeah, even at the end of it, when he's talking to Loki, he's like, yeah, the Avengers, that's what we call ourselves, Earth Mightiest <laughs> Heroes. <laughs> he's already over it and ready to fight. You know? Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, except he's not quite over it, as we find out next time. Well, hey, good transition. Hey, thank you. Yeah, Iron Man 3. Tell, <laughs> talk about that. Tell us what you're talking about there. Well, in the, this is the one which is really about PTSD. This is the one where he is having sweaty panic attacks and doesn't know what's wrong with him. You know, he was actually on the verge of dying in Iron Man 2. He feels like he's on the verge of dying in Iron Man 3. Mm -hmm. um, but it is just a panic attack and he is okay. But this is the one where we see this kind of mania that will be played out through Age of Ultron and Civil War and even into Homecoming and Infinity War. Uh, how do I keep everybody safe from these galactic level threats? You know, his... He, he figured something out that would sort of serve as a, as a he says, a nuclear deter deterrent and ensure world peace. Okay, great. Well done. What about everything coming at them from outside the world? You know, so it, it just kind of takes it up a notch. Um, but even with that, he still has to deal with world level, level threats, which come in the form of, obviously, uh, uh, Aldrich Killian and the, the Mandarin. Um, <laughs> Which is so good. Um, but yeah, it, it, the, the whole Shane Black thing was about putting him mentally back in the cave. So, yeah. so kind of taking away a lot of his comforts, taking away a lot of the uh, sureties that he's kind of put around himself since Iron Man. Um, and I think that works really well because he has to sort of, there is a certain amount of building himself back up, I think, after the events of Avengers. And mm -hmm. I think that's what this film does. Yeah, it's really good. I, again, I didn't realize this until doing this podcast because Captain America was a little bit different in terms of mm. his journey through this. But um, I also don't know that there's a lot of change in Tony here. So what I'm what I'm mm. perceiving is that what's happening is what Helen described, which is the in-between movies. In, in other words, the in-between movies that come between these major plot points in a yeah. in this not only the character's journey but in this the MCU as a whole. It's really saying well. Let's take Tony and put him uh, in, a, in, a, in a place where he's experiencing trauma from the last plot point. Mm. So we're not going to move his character forward so much into the next one because that's what the next big movie is going to do. But we have to show you where he's at so that that movie makes a lot more sense. 
um, which is kind of, uh, it's a really bold move, but it's also uh, instrumental to the MCU being as powerful as it is. Because yeah. we're all waiting for those big those big inflection points. And we'll mm. watch the in-between movies because we love the characters. But then it's like, well, where is Tony? So that when Tony comes to the next inflection, inflection point, what is he going to be doing? Like, yeah. What is he going to look like? How is he going to behave? So I think this is a setup, a really good setup for Age of Ultron. For Ultron, absolutely. But this film, if it had leaned into it, mm-hmm. grew, grew him in a huge way. Because it got him to the point where he didn't need Iron Man anymore. Mm. <clears throat> now, yeah, they didn't I mean, lean into that. It didn't hold. <laughs> well, <laughs> but... well it, it did and it didn't. I mean, so when we join Age of Ultron, okay, he's, he's rebuilt the suit because, you know, he likes it. Um, but he's also built those the, the sort of Iron Legion. And he's, mm. he's trying to kind of outsource the Iron Man power to something that doesn't have to involve him personally. And you even see that in Spider-Man Homecoming when he has like a kind of remote suits and he can kind yeah. of just speak to people without physically being there. So th- there's an element of moving away from it and becoming less dependent, but you're right. It's not quite the let's explode everything that we were, <laughs> that the end of this film seemed to, <laughs> seemed to suggest, but none of us really expected that to stick. Did we? No, definitely <laughs> not. And I think what it, it still adds a lot to his character because yeah. it adds a lot of depth. It shows us what his addiction to being Iron Man mm-hmm. is really all about and how strong it is. And, and also, it shows think, us the tension sorry. between him doing that and mm. him being true to Pepper. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm guessing Pepper was the most frustrated with the fact that that didn't hold. Mm. <laughs> true. Yeah, probably. But then I, I think that the relationship with Pepper has been really nicely developed, even though most of the key moments have always happened off screen. First kiss, didn't see it. Absolutely mm. didn't see it. Breakup, didn't see it. Engagement, didn't see it. Um, right. We oh, have not. But, but we've we've still, we've got the sense of their relationship. And I think people are invested in their relationship purely on the tiny bits that we do see, you know. So it's maybe good. they'll have a kid in Endgame. Hey. Oh God, let's hope so. Everybody's go- everybody's going to be okay, right? They're going to be oh, okay. Oh sure. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking about that. What if this whole thing is a smokescreen? What if they're all still contracted and we're going to get more of the main six yes. after all of this? Yes, I like this. Let's just stick with that and ignore That's reality. Sort of, a, yeah. <laughs> sort of a futile optimism, but I can put it out there anyway. Yeah, there you go. Put it out there in the universe. See what happens. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've already dipped into Age of Ultron a little bit, mm. so let's just go for that full on. Jay, why don't you talk about Tony and Age of Ultron? Yeah, so this, this Age of Ultron introduces my favorite part of Tony's character journey in the MCU. Yeah, um, I think it has some issues as a film, but I, I I love the fact that he's already learned to reject his father's legacy. He's already rege- or learned to reject tribalism. Mm. Um, he's He's been introduced to these issues of hubris and the need for humility and working in a team setting. But all of these things get combined because he actually he hasn't learned that there are some problems that he can't solve that he'll never be able to solve. And so the anxiety that he has that drives him to try to solve all the problems that he can't solve actually turns his own hubris against him. So in his attempt to play God, he creates the devil. Mm. Right. Like and I think that that's a really, really, really interesting, compelling place to put Tony in. Yeah. both now and moving forward in the MCU. So if you look at this, it's kind of like maybe like the midpoint of the MCU thus far, leading to, towards an end yeah. game kind mm. of ending, then I think this is a perfect place to have a midpoint where Tony has to deal with that bigger concept where all of the things come at him at once and his anxiety drives him to do something that he shouldn't do and he plays God and it backfires. Yeah. True. But it's interesting that he doesn't learn 
immediately because his <laughs> immediate <know>. reaction <laughs> is to try the same thing again with vision well, what becomes vision so luckily that works out pretty well for everybody involved and of course vision is the creation of essentially uh, not just Tony but also Helen and also uh, Thor and also of course the the stone itself um, but yeah, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't quite get it immediately. But I do think that this film is is interesting because it shows uh, the limits of what he can do. So it shows, you know, that the Iron Legion. I think when he sees the devastation that uh, that Ultron brings, ultimately, I think that does have a change. You're you're entirely right. Um, and also the fight against Hulk in um, Johannesburg. It's it's meant to be Johannesburg, right? Not just shot there. I, I think, think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the devastation there is insane. And and you know he's again he's trying to contain it, but it's uh, you know you know buying the building that he's then right. <laughs> destroying. Um, <laughs> but it's not it's not an obvious and an easy uh, process. And again, I think he's 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 sensing his own limits and he's sensing that there's stuff that he can't control, which may or may not make him. I mean, it, pro- it makes him wiser. It doesn't necessarily make him feel safer <laughs> as we kind of see in the next one. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like in this one, we sort of hit a point where his his addiction to Iron Man and his dealing with all of the anxiety and the PTSD and everything mm. starts to feel a little bit redundant to me. Mm. Right. And I start to get a little bit tired of it. Yeah. But I actually like that because mm. that's probably how it would feel in real life you know (laughs) it's like i'm sick of this tired of this dude he can't get his act together and it works out really well because i think we get some payoff on it and we finally get some movement when we get to civil war right yeah so let's go to civil war why don't you talk about that one yeah well obviously this is the one where tony's entirely in the wrong and and you know cap is a sweet baby lamb uh who did nothing (laughs) um no I'm, i'm i'm kidding a little bit um at least. But I think this is this is a really, really big one for Tony personally. For, first of all, he's clearly been in a bad place when the film starts because he's already broken up with Pepper. And we know that she's an extremely patient person. So things must have gone quite seriously wrong. Because I don't believe he broke up with her. I believe she broke up with him. It just doesn't seem like he's the type, weirdly. Yeah. So, um, so clearly something has gone quite seriously wrong for him to drive her away. So he's already in a bad place. So the Sokovia Accords are an effort to um, having rejected oversight, having rejected anyone telling him what to do really all his life, never mind since becoming Iron Man. Um, he's now accepted the principle that maybe other people might know something sometimes. Um, and that must have been a huge wrench um, for him. So I think, you know, again, this is what I'm saying about Age of Ultron, the, the ultimate devastation definitely must have had an effect on him if he is willing to accept the Sokovia Accords. Uh, so that's that's obviously been huge off screen. And then when we uh, when we actually you know get to the end of the film, you realize what they've actually been sort of fighting towards and what the the giant revelation actually is. Um, he then has this huge other trauma, this this reawakening of of his parents' death, this realization that the guy who pulled the trigger is still there, and uh, and yeah, that probably knocks him for another loop. Well, it does on screen. Um, so it's quite a lot in this film. He's in a bad place. I think it's fair to say. Um, but it is interesting that there is a sense of, um, there is a sense of, I don't know, him moving. I don't want to say moving on, but there is a sense of movement by the end of it, by the, even by that last scene, even in homecoming, there's a sense of him having gone through something and maybe emerged a bit stronger, weirdly. 
Mm. I don't know why. But like, if you if, first of all, I mean, just getting back with Pepper by the time of Homecoming, but also, you know, in that last scene, he kind of there's a sense of him accepting Cap's apology to at least some degree. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're they're best buds when he gets that letter, but he's he's at least acknowledging that he may also have made some mistakes there. I think. I don't know. Yeah. I, and again, because I, I always say this, legally speaking, Bucky isn't a murderer. Legally speaking, <laughs> he was brainwashed. It was autom- automatism, which is a defense to murder. So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think you hit on all the really important points here. I mean, Civil War is an outstanding film because if you took, yeah. if you looked at where Iron Man is in the first film, and then fast forwarded to Civil War, you'd be like, what? in the world yeah. like this doesn't make any sense but for for tony stark to say i need accountability mm. and and really he's he's experiencing that accountability in two ways one in the fallout from age of ultron mm-hmm. but also like like you mentioned helen he actually needs personal accountability because he wants to go murder bucky barnes for something that bucky barnes is not even personally responsible for mm. so he can't even control himself when it comes to his own like uh, emotional trauma about his parents he can't control himself when it comes to his actions in the world around him yeah um, very good point it's it, i think it's that awareness of his own limitations that is driving him to require accountability absolutely it's it's exactly. not just it's not superheroes in general it's a it's an acknowledgement of his own shortcomings which god knows he's never had in the past right so <laughs> right, yeah. right 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 and i think that's yeah and i think that that's actually because because that's why uh, Cap rejects it, right? Because mm. Cap's like, dude, that, that's your issue. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not necessarily mine. Yeah. Um, and by the way, Cap has been seeing him resist leadership this entire time. So Cap's <laughs> like, yeah, you had accountability, dude. It was me. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> um, so I think that I think that that's really important because that is a big turn. That's mm. a big turn to get that character to to get the to get the privileged billionaire. To yeah. so say, oh, you know what? My billions don't solve anything. And actually, my smarts don't solve anything. I actually need accountability for other people to help me make decisions because I can't trust myself. Yeah. That's a big, big deal. So this film is magnificent from that standpoint. Absolutely. I think this one has the most growth for him out of any of the movies mm-hmm. for me. And um, like you said, Helen, it may not be necessarily that he moved forward a whole bunch, but I think he did hit absolute rock bottom on this. Yeah. Because we see him, he's lost Pepper, mm. and he has to deal with the death of his parents. And you're right, he's desperate. Like, he wants accountability because he doesn't trust himself anymore. I mean, it's just, it's the worst point that he could get to. And I really feel like we do see him turn a little bit and start to get some closure on some of these things mm. and start to deal with it and look w- get, get a glimpse of what it's going to look like to move forward. Mm. Especially if you look at the part where he goes and visits the raft, Mm-hmm. And he sees all the guys in their cells and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he asks Falcon, where is he? And he tells him when he's walking back out to his helicopter mm-hmm. and he tells Ross, he's like, yeah. feel free to give me a call. I like to watch the line blink. It's like, that's old Tony. Like, yeah. That's yeah. confident Tony. He's back. Yeah, yeah. Now he's about to go find out who killed his parents. And that's going to be a bit of a setback. <laughs> but, <laughs> right. but I feel like old Tony is back at that point. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a, there's definitely a sense there of him being about to come around and realizing that they have a common enemy and then, oops, bit of a turn, bit of a twist. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's move into Tony the Mentor. Let's go to mm. Spider-Man Homecoming. Jay, why don't you start us off on that one? Uh, so I love the fact that when 
he comes out of the experience in Civil War that we see his character change in a way that says, you know what? I can offer mentorship and accountability to someone else because I didn't have that. And that was a huge character flaw that caused me massive amounts of problems over the life of my tenure as Iron Man. I'm going to give back and I'm going to say that the legacy of um, uh, artificial intelligence and autonomous bots is not good <laughs> enough, right? Like it, mm. it, it creates problems. So I need to help another human. And then he turns to Peter Parker as that human, somebody who I think he, he sees as someone who doesn't have billions and doesn't have privilege mm. and how those things could have gotten his own way. So he turns that on to Peter, yeah. who is, is more of an altruistic <laughs> type of character, I think, in some ways. Well, actually matching Tony in some ways, too, mm. because there's an indication that he didn't have his parents. And so like there's there's some bonds there that they share between the two of them. Yeah. So. I just think, again, a uh, really cool turn for him to take is giving back to Peter yeah. with things that he feels he needed and probably would have rejected, by the way, but still feels like he needed when mm. he was younger. I, I think this, I, I would call this a full father, you know, father-son kind of thing for Tony. Um, and I think for Peter as well. I think they both desperately need a son and a father, you know. Um, but it's it's interesting. I think the way that Tony expresses love is through... Uh, making things. I think when he called himself an engineer in Iron Man 3, I think that that's pretty true. Um, mm. So, you know, the, there's the, even throwaway references in this film to Cap's new shield and uh, Thor's belt and stuff like this. It, I think he mm. expresses love by making things for people. Like, he has a suit that is keyed to Rhodey. He has a suit that is keyed to, pr to protect Pepper in case of disaster. Mm. Um, and so he expresses love for Spidey by making him a suit because of course he does and i think you i think you fall in love with that kid within seconds of meeting him so it doesn't even you know he doesn't he hasn't even necessarily put a lot of thought into it but certainly that that sort of the suit he wears in homecoming this rather than the civil war one maybe when he gets really into it that that's someone has put thought into that someone has put care and attention into it um and i just see a lot of love there and and i think that the his mania for not just protecting Peter but for keeping him on the right track and for teaching him to be responsible is I think partly a very self-awareness he's very very aware of all the ways in which he himself is not responsible it does not take care does not pay attention you know isn't careful mm -hmm. about things mm -hmm. and he doesn't want Peter to go the same route it's that sort of mm -hmm. parental desperation to avoid their kids making the same mistakes um so yeah, I, I I just I love their relationship here because also you know he's such a good kid. I mean, who, <laughs> you know who wouldn't want to you know help that kid out in any way they could? Absolutely, that's a great pickup by the way. I never thought of that before that Tony expresses love by because it's a very I mean one of Tony's issues is 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 intimacy clearly. Mm. And so what would someone who struggles with intimacy do? Well, I'm going to try and give you things yeah because it's the easiest way for me to express intimacy even though. I don't. I'm, I don't have the words, or I don't have yeah. the attention to do it. That's <laughs> he a really also, good pickup. He also doesn't have the gift guy buying ability. I mean, he buys Pepper Potts, that <laughs> giant rabbit, yeah, or teddy yeah. bear. I can't remember. Yeah. But like, I can like that woman. You look at that woman. You think she wants a giant bear? Like, it's <laughs> no. That, that's absolutely the wrong thing. So it's it's hilariously wrong. Um. So yeah, I think he's best either letting her do all the present buying. She has that whole Goop website she can go to, um, yeah, or right. or just building suits. Happy days. He yeah. does eventually give her control of his company, so that's oh, probably yeah. a I pretty mean, that's, good gift. Oh th yeah, that's a better gift probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trust I think in that case is the real gift. 
One thing that I think is interesting about the Spider-Man angle is that Tony sought out Peter before his re- his revelations from Civil War. Mm. So I feel like he was still at a pretty unhealthy place when he sought out Peter. Mm. So he might have just been looking for people to be on his team. Yeah. He just needed more manpower. So in some ways, I feel like after Civil War and going into Spider-Man Homecoming, it's almost like Tony's like, oh, shit. Now I have to do something about this. Yeah, <laughs> It's like, I need to take care of this kid because... He needs to be treated better than I was. Mm. It, it may also be, and this is pure speculation because I don't think there's anything for it in the in the text. Um, just a general, again, as part of this kind of peacekeeping mania, a general keeping an eye out for other enhanced. Yeah. You know, so it may be just that, but I think I think yeah, you're right. I think I think there's definitely an element of he he knows where Peter is. He's been keeping an eye out already way way before Civil War. Totally. But otherwise, I think you guys all said it. I mean, it's a it's a great progression for his character. I really love that this gives us a good way to see positivity in Tony mm-hmm. in a yeah. way that we've never seen before. Uh, so I think it's really great. And it's really great to give us somebody else that he cares so deeply about yeah. aside from Pepper. Yeah. And in a different way. Definitely. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Let's get dark. Oh. Let's go to Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why don't you start us off on that one, Helen? Well, I mean, you know, having uh, having developed someone else to care desperately about, you know, that person is going to be <laughs> exactly well first ripped into space. So he sends a he sends a you know rocket suit uh, shooting after him to keep him alive uh, on the outside of the spaceship first of all, and then obviously the dusting at the end. Um, yeah, this is a this is a pretty serious series of blows to Tony. I think um, it's his worst fears coming true in terms of alien invasion again, um, by an overwhelming threat that he can't meet. Um, I think that that even that initial encounter with the children of Thanos is is pretty tough going. Um, never mind then going into space somewhere he has never been, certainly much beyond the stratosphere, and somewhere he is not prepared for. Um, and then meeting someone who nobody's prepared for in, in, in terms of Thanos. So, uh, yeah, the fact that he stays sane through most of this film is, I think, <laughs> you know, a testament to his character. Uh, the fact that he is able to uh, form himself, Strange, Spidey and the Guardians into a moderately effective force against Thanos, at least until Quill balls it up, um, <laughs> is also testament to him. So I, th- I think he's... He's enormously effective on this. He's been, you know, he's firing on all cylinders and it just, it isn't enough. Um, so, yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, even Thanos respects him. The whole, you know, I hope your name is remembered thing. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 and it's fair because he, he, he puts up, he fights the good fight. It's just, yeah, not quite far enough. Yeah. I'll jump in real quick on this before you, Jay, just because I want to jump on something you said, Helen. Um, you said that, it's, it's surprising that he doesn't go crazy going through all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a testament to the journey that he's had thus far. Yeah. I think without what happened in Civil War and stuff like that, he never would have been ready to face Thanos. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, so I love that the Russo brothers are like, what's that? Tony can't face anything worse? He doesn't have any uh, growth <laughs> left in his character? Watch Here, us. hold our beers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, they stripped Tony of everything he does everything right in this film yeah he's accepting responsibility he's not trusting himself he's he's trying to take the battle away from earth because he doesn't want to have the have the impact on earth um he's learned all of his lessons and he's doing everything the way he's supposed to do them and yet he has to watch peter parker die in his arms so 
I just feel like it's like the Russo brothers should be arrested for forcing Tony to experience this. <laughs> Those monsters, the Russo brothers. Uh, yeah. that, but it's, I think it's really, it's really like you guys said, it's a testament to his character. It's a testament to where his characters are at and um, where his character is at. And I think it sets up, I mean, Endgame has not been teed up. Uh, it's been teed up better than any movie I can ever imagine. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just, it's a perfect setup. Yeah, we, we were talking about this um, after the new trailer um, on the Empire podcast this week. We did another 40-minute breakdown of a two-minute trailer. Um, <laughs> it was a good one, too. I thank you. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I still think we're seeing mostly footage from the first 20 or so minutes of the film. And right. um, and we're seeing a Tony who, again, is, is facing up to certain death um, and looks pretty resigned to that fact. And... Uh, and even when he comes back, he's still facing a world that is fifty percent not there. So, I think it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough this time. I, I just think that's the it's a great storytelling bit of Infinity War is the fact that pretty much everybody did pretty much everything right. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that we you know can even you know criticize Thor for not aiming for the head or Peter Quill for getting distracted <laughs> at, as you know at a moment. These are such tiny mistakes that in any other superhero film would would lead to nothing of consequence. Mm. Um, and yet they decided to punch us all in the gut and, and kill Spidey. So, <laughs> so yeah, so Endgame, I think the stakes are just so immediately soaring going in that I think it's going to be... It's going to be a, just a, a series of, of gut punches this time, mm-hmm. I suspect. Um, and uh, including for Tony. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see what you guys called the scene in that in oh the trailer God, reaction that right? did when he and when he and Steve meet up again. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I oh. mean, so much, so much angst. I I just can't wait. Oh my God. <laughs> or man angst, as you guys refer to man too, angst. Yeah. Yes, man yes. Angst. I mean, this is this is basically one of my my kryptonites. You know, it's sort of strong men expressing their feelings is oh my god <laughs> just i mean I've, I've watched like what 26 episode or 26 seasons or whatever it is of supernatural now like that is just my, <laughs> that is my crack cocaine it is going to be brilliant do you just refer to it as the winchester effect now <laughs> it pretty much is it pretty right, much okay. is i think by the way that we we can predict that this is how Cap loses his beard. Tony just slaps it right off his face. Oh. <laughs> just comes in, boom. Wow. Uh, R.I.P. the beard. Yeah, yes. that's right. That's At right. least you got one more little scene with it. I, I did, so. I did, yeah. That was worth the entrance price alone. It was. By the way, I have to say, every time I see the trailer and, the, and he's beardless, I'm like... How many years are we going back here? Like, he looks so young in yeah. comparison to the beard. He yeah. looks so mature with the beard. You're expecting him to say, flame on. <laughs> yeah. um, let me hit you guys with a few other questions here mm. before we wrap up. I'm curious what you think about um, the decision in Iron Man 3 for Tony to undergo surgery and remove the shrapnel from his chest. Mm. Um, do you think that takes away from his character or do you think it adds to it? What do you think, Helen? I think it's an addition. I think it's a good thing. I think um, if you have the choice not to be dependent on something and you choose to be dependent on it, I think that's a that's a choice that says something about you. You know, so he, you know, we're, we're, the impression is that surgery has basically gotten better, and certainly that particular surgeon is a genius surgeon. So he now now has the choice to have the shrapnel removed. Um, so to hold on to it for no reason when it's threatening his life 
makes very little sense and it would seem uh, the more mature and the more sensible thing to actually undergo that surgery so i think it is a sign of growth and i think it is a sign of um not being dependent on the iron man armor on that being a choice for him and i think that's important you just yeah. completely changed my mind <laughs> oh really i was gonna go the other direction and talk about how stanley loved characters who had flaws and stuff like that mm. but that was a fantastic argument I, my mind has changed <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm Team Helen on this one too. I think uh, I remember thinking when I first saw the film that it detracted. When I right. first saw the film, I was like, "Why did they do that?" Like yeah. that seemed like a huge. Yeah. But what I didn't anticipate at the time was, you know, Kevin Feige and the rest of the creative team behind all of this. I didn't realize that they had a desire to make Tony more human and make it more about his impact on the world rather than on his own survival. Yeah. And so by by removing this, they're taking the emphasis off Tony for Tony. And saying, no, 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 Tony's next character journey is going to be, how do you care for people when they're all going to die and your actions might cause some of those deaths? Mm -hmm. And so it takes the emphasis off him surviving and about him, uh, how he deals with the world around him, yeah. which I think is much more mature. So yeah. I, I agree. I was on your team like when I saw the film, but now looking back, I'm like, oh, that's a perfect decision to make. Yeah, yeah. And I think also like he still has loads of flaws. So I, you know, I don't, totally. I don't feel like he's suddenly some become some paragon. I think he's, right. he's still a guy who struggles to be good. Definitely. Pretty much any character in the MCU could be considered a part of Tony's supporting cast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just want to talk a little bit about who's been most impactful. Obviously, we have Pepper. Mm. And we have Spider-Man yeah. and Steve. Yeah. But let's talk about some of the others, too. Like, Jay, what do you think? Who has been most impactful in Tony's journey? Well, the three I, the three I have listed here are Pepper, Rhodes, and Cap. And I'm sure there's more than that. Mm, sure. Um, but I think Pepper supplies Tony with something that he needs and doesn't want to admit that he needs. And that's mm. because she sees through his bravado mm -hmm. and yeah. constantly reminds him that he's human. I mean, she's kind of like the voice of reason always with him. And I think a lot of people would get so frustrated with Tony that they'd be like, you know what, dude, go dig your own grave. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but Pe Pepper doesn't do that. Pepper has this empathy for him that she sees his bravado as actually a self-esteem problem. And I think that that um, that mm. that's pretty instrumental to his character. If she yeah. doesn't see him that way, then he's he's on an island. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I think that that's a big deal. Um, I think Road Rhodes is there because Rhodey's there because um, they he has to be the one that says that helps guide Tony's strategy. It can't just be Tony's strategy on its own. He needs somebody to kind of push back against that strategy. So I think that that's a good relationship mm. for that. And then finally, just with Cap, I mean, I think that Tony needs to see leadership that he can respect in a from a different angle. Because I think like Nick Fury is too much of a Howard Stark for him to kind of appreciate. But when you when he can look at somebody like Cap and go, oh, so he's the embodiment of what we would all hope to see in leaders, as opposed to he's the leader of a country because the country. Like, in other words, he's not he's he's leading outside of his tribe for what his tribe idealizes, but but he actually would reject the tribe if the tribe doesn't turn towards mm. his ideals. Yeah, and I think that Tony needs that to see that the the Howard Stark chain can be broken and it can look like that. Mm. So mm. I kind of like that aspect of it too. So it's just I came up with those three. Yeah, yeah. I I mean I hate to be boring, but I'm going to hundred percent agree with those three. <laughs> um, I mean everything you said for Pepper. Uh, completely, I think I think that's 
that's completely true. She's she's the one who both is absolutely loyal to him, but also is not afraid to say you're being a dick. Stop it. And I think that that's really important that he has both in one person. You know, yes. um, there's a little bit of the same thing in Rhodey. I think that 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 same sort of balance between the two. Um, but also, I think that the additional element that I think Rhodey brings, as as well as what you said, is is the idea of service. You know, he is mm. a servant of his country. He is serving in the military. Um, he is part of something bigger than himself. And I think there's a bit of an example thing there for uh, Tony as he kind of struggles towards figuring out what he's actually doing. Um, so, so I think that, and then, and then with, with cap, I mean, the only thing I'd add is, is the whole idea, which we, t- we talked about in the, in the cap podcast, I think as well about them almost being a sort of weird brother. They're, they're almost both created by Howard Stark and actually Steve is the older brother and Steve is the brother that's been idealized at him throughout his childhood. You know, it's almost like when you have one of those fa- families where there's a tragic loss of a child and that becomes the impossible standard for everyone else to live up to. And all their all their flaws are forgotten. And all that anyone remembers is how great they were. And I feel like there's an element of that with, with Tony as well, that he's growing up in the shadow of this great older brother that he can never live up to, um, who then turns up. And he can't live up to him in the flesh either. And is he going to be able to, you know, in any way measure himself against this guy? So I think there's a... I think it's more on that's more on Tony's side than it is on Steve's, but it's, but there is something of that there. There is something of that weird sibling relationship and that weird sibling rivalry almost between them and the feeling that they're linked, even though he can't explain how, um, but that he, he's now almost in competition with this impossible guy. Mm, that's a really good take. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm not going to be very excited either. Cause I agree with you guys. Too. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would definitely throw Peter in there as mm. well because I feel like Peter is Tony's chance mm. to positively pass on a legacy mm. that comes yeah. out of him being a superhero. Mm. Whereas a lot of the other stuff he's done is stuff that he kind of has to go back and repair. Yeah. yeah. Peter is his first chance to kind of get it right from the outset. Mm. Oh, good point. Um, one character that I think should be more connected to Tony is mm. Vision. Mm. I'm a little frustrated by... Because Jarvis was so important to yeah. Tony. That's a good point. There was a time when Jarvis was probably the only person that Tony felt like he could relate to, which mm. is ironic because he's not a person. But <laughs> yeah. um, <clears throat> the connection between the two of them was so strong, and I feel like he hardly interacts with Vision at yeah. all. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, we should have more of that, I think. Yeah. 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 Maybe oh. we'll get more in the future. Maybe so. They both survive. I don't know. We'll Everyone's going to be fine. Everybody. Sorry, sorry. I know. I know. That's right. <laughs> okay, so I'm not trying to ruin your day, but we're going to go a little bit darker okay. <laughs> for, for just a minute. And then I promise we'll do it. We'll, we'll uptick it before we end. But <laughs> I want to talk about that moment at the end of Infinity War after the dusting when Tony is on that, he's on Titan. Yeah. Um, I don't even, is he aware that Nebula is there with him? I guess he probably is. But mm. for the most part, he thinks he's alone on this dead planet. And he's dropping his hands into his, his head into his hands. And he's just lost everything. Yeah. And this isn't just for being dark. I'm just, <laughs> I just no, want to no. dive into it a little bit. <laughs> I'm curious what you guys think is actually running through his mind at that moment. Jay, what do you think? Oh man, I think this is the this is the moment of utter despair. Yeah. Right? Like this is this is he we talked about this already. He's done everything right. Like um he can't defeat Thanos by himself. He knows that. He he teams up with other people to do it. Uh he can't um then he can't defeat Thanos with his team. 
right? He accountability won't help him. Uh, the hero he's mentoring dies. Uh, he can't get back to Pepper if Pepper's even alive for yeah. him to get back to. Um, everything that Tony has ever cared about, every lesson that he has ever learned, there is no hope for him. Um, it is the worst possible place that he could be. Um, even, even I think even Cap and even you know Thor to an extent, you could make an argument that like, well, they still feel like they have a chance to come back. Tony doesn't seem like he has any shot at coming back at the end of that film, um, and it's just it's just a really heartbreaking place to put Tony Stark as a character. Mm. And it's amazing, like Helen said earlier, that he doesn't just completely unravel. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like actually. The, the only thing I disagree with there is I feel like he and Cap are almost mirrors of each other in that moment. I feel mm. like they're both um, just, I mean, they are absolutely, as you say, despairing, like completely, almost for at least momentarily, completely immobilized by despair. Um, but, uh, but I think there's a real parallel between them and that real shared realization that the, the one thing they never really thought they could do was fail, not as part of this team, not with these guys. You know, I think they both have some earned confidence, actually, that, you know, if they all stuck together, that things would kind of work out. So there is that moment of, oh, God, we did everything we possibly could. We pretty much did everything right. And still, yeah. now what do we do? I think there, there's a real it's a real crisis moment for both of them because neither of them's used to losing. And uh, and suddenly they have. So, I mean, they've lost things personally, but they haven't failed in a mission, you know. Um, so yeah, it's a, that's a, it's a killer. Yeah. In fact, I realize as, as you say that, I realize that I'm actually interpreting this question through the lens of the end game trailer, <laughs> which is not fair. Well, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's part of why I brought yeah. it up because yeah. I think one of the, one of the things that's running through his mind at that moment is what happened to Pepper. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, yeah. he know I think he knows that half the universe is dead because yeah. Thanos yeah. explains that. Right. Yeah. So he knows that concept. Yeah. yeah. And and there's so gotta I think be, he's wondering what happened to Pepper. Yeah. There's got to be that worry. It's like, well, Pepper and me are a team. There's two of us. Half the universe is dead. I'm here. Right. Yeah. You know, there's, oh, there's got to be more. That's even more dark. I know. I mean, yeah. I'm just like the worst possible maths, right? Like that's, there's right. that possibility. And, and of course it doesn't work that way. You know, we know it doesn't work that way because we've seen what happened to the Guardians. We kind of yeah. know what happened to Hawkeye's family, for example. But, um, but yeah, it's got to be, he's got to be thinking that kind of, nonsensical maths in his head right now right then yeah so, yeah and he's I just think, left alone except for like you said with yeah, nebula yeah. to right. consider it i mean it's like yeah uh, which is so you mentioned the end game trailer and i think that's one of the brilliant choices that they made with that trailer and really mm. all of the trailers because there's some element of him mm. recording a message yeah for pepper that he doesn't know if she's ever going to hear yeah. right and i think that's that one tiny little glimmer of hope that we needed. Yeah. We know that Cap and all the other Avengers are going to find a way to fix things. We yeah. know that they're going to fight this. Yeah. But what about Tony? How does Tony go on after yeah. what he's been through? So using that in the trailers, I think was brilliant. Yeah. I really hope that there is a moment where Pepper gets to listen to his messages. <laughs> um, even if, even if he, go, he, whether or not he survives, because he is literally pouring out his heart basically to the one person who has never rejected him for being a dick. Mm. <laughs> right? Like 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 he could he could be intimate with Neither her in Jarvis. all these different ways. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Jarvis has to listen to it too. Yeah. <laughs> um but I, I think that that would be a really powerful emotional moment for her to to 
for us to see her realize that this entire time he carries all these feelings for him, but he's not able to express them to yeah. her. Yeah. Would be really intense. Yeah. God. Okay. I mean, Let's look for forward a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I promised this was going to be an uptick. My answer to uh, this question, not so much of an uptick, no, but your guys' answers you can You monster. Be. You're as bad as the Russo brothers. <laughs> and just what do we think is going to happen in Endgame? I mean, what do you think is in Tony's future? Well, I mean, okay, so we know from the latest trailer, if you've seen it, very mild spoiler, that he does get back to Earth, at least, yep. and stand mm -hmm. once again with the Avengers. Assuming, of course, that we can believe those pictures, because we know they lie to us with images. Totally. Um, but we, we believe, at least, that he gets back to Earth and fights with them again. Um, I don't know that I believe he's going to make it through this one alive. Um, if you want a reason for that beyond kind of storytelling or knowledge of people's contracts... I would point you to the, uh, the also the synopsis of Far From Home, which you know talks about Peter dealing with the fallout of the events of Endgame, and right. what fallout would that be for Peter in particular if it's not Tony's loss? Yeah. Um, and the fact that they show us happy in that trailer, but not yeah, Tony. but not Tony. So there mm. there are worries there um, for sure. I, I mean, we have the sense that it's going to take a lot to to undo what Thanos has done. That if they are going to earn you know, in a storytelling sense, like just, I don't know, turning back the clock and undoing something that has been done is very unsatisfying. Um, you know, the ending of Superman is very unsatisfying, actually, unless it is, <laughs> unless it's somehow earned, unless it's somehow paid for, unless it's somehow, um, you know, built into the story in a way that feels satisfying and scientifically ludicrous too by the way well, scientifically yeah <laughs> it, 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 i mean it's the worst on a number of levels but uh, like he's not powerful enough we need to invent powers for him but fine okay <laughs> leaving that aside though you, you need to earn an undoing of something this of this magnitude and and the only way that they're going to be able to do that is honestly if they kill people we love um right the absolute bastards yeah, <laughs> um, but but the Marvel and you know the MCU and and these these filmmakers in particular the Russos and, and Marcus and McFeely have shown such a steady hand in knowing how stories work that you know we can expect a high price to be paid and I have to say that much as I adore them Tony and Steve are, are top of the list of people most likely to pay it so. I'm worried. Having said that, let's hope that his dream about Pepper being pregnant is entirely true and that they are going to ride off into the sunset with little Howard Jr. or whatever. <laughs> but I'm not sure I believe it. I don't believe it either. I I think he's going to die. And I think it's because you earlier in this show, you mentioned uh, Steve's comment to him about he's not the one to make the sacrifice play. Yeah. And to lay down on the on the wire and let the other guy crawl over you, yeah. Um, I feel like he might prove Steve wrong on mm. that one in this way too. He might yeah. actually make that sacrifice play. And as dark as it feels, Jay, I think you're right. I think Pepper is going to be listening to this message after Tony has died. Mm. That yeah. would be very dark. Um, I so I will take the other. But arguments. it's tempered with the fact that he. I'm thinking it's going to be a hero's death. I mean, he's. Oh yeah, oh, yeah for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's yeah, going to yeah. save. Has everybody. to be a hero's death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Possibly I, him and Steve hand in hand saving everyone. Can I just say? Sure. Practically. Yeah. 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 I think. Well, and I think I really hope that we see that from the event from the original Avengers, mm. regardless. Like right, that they're the ones that step up. Yeah. Um, I will take the opposite 
side of this Yay. equation. I think I did in the, I think I did in the Infinity War. Yeah, podcast we've been fighting already. about this for a while now. Yeah, but I think that. Um, so I think that. Unfortunately, I do think that Cap will probably die. I do. I, I, I we'll talk about this more on the Thor podcast when that comes around. But I think that Thor actually has, because of his character journey, has a lot of uh, possibilities for death as well. I think Tony, because they've made him a mentor, and because uh, now, granted, I'm, I, I am cheating a little bit because Robert Downey Jr. is so good as the guy who only is on screen for five minutes, but you love him anyways. Um, uh-huh. I think that he could easily just be in various movies showing up as the mentor to Peter. And mm. he's just there for a little bit, and then he's gone again. But so, based on comic book history, he doesn't have to be alive to do that. He could just be an AI. <gasps> Whoa. Yeah, but that's, to me, that's worse. Okay, so so on a scale <laughs> of what you do with Tony, that is by far, I think, the worst option, is like making him an AI. I'm like, thanks a lot for taking the guy who won't be intimate and then turning him into a computer. Like, that doesn't, that's and not satisfying. And now Jarvis is a living person, so they just traded places. It's <laughs> I know, fine. Exactly. So for me personally, I think the biggest, um, the biggest remaining piece of his character journey is to put Iron Man aside permanently and say, I'm not going to try and develop more technology. I'm not putting on a suit. Um, I am literally going to put this aside so that I can then go and be a dad um, mm-hmm. and become uh, more of a domesticated person as opposed to a, a, a millionaire playboy or a billionaire playboy. So I, I, I feel like that's a better character arc for him and that death would actually subvert that. And in the subversion of that, I don't think he actually learned a lot of his lessons. But we have um, Peter. He's already a dad. Yeah, yeah. He, he, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to argue with you. Well, I, just, no, he I just want you to know you're wrong. That's all. <laughs> I'm not trying to argue with you, but you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, no, no. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm putting too much into this, but I hope that that's how it turns out. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. That, that, I like that idea. Let's go with that one. I prefer that to mine. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we're going to wrap up Tony right there. Um, but have no despair. We are going to be talking with Helen yet again and rounding out the trilogy of the big three and talking about Thor. So join us back here in a couple of weeks when we do that. Absolutely. Awesome. As part of our MCU series or our season on the MCU here at the Story Geeks podcast, we've asked you guys to submit questions to us. You can always submit questions at the Story Geeks um, Instagram account, at the Story Geeks Twitter account, or via our email, thestorygeeks at gmail.com. Well, we have one question, and then some of our patrons are also leaving us their thoughts, and we're going to play those along the way throughout this series. So let's dive into those really quickly. Uh, One patron of ours, Briona, said, I think Tony Stark has the most compelling character journey. He went from the most selfish character to the most self-sacrificing one. That's a really good point. I actually would agree with Briona on that assessment. Um, Joshua Beckham, though, said, personally, the most compelling and the one that resonates with me the most as far as character journeys go is Steve Rogers, which is also a really compelling one. That is the correct answer. Those would be my top two. So you would say (laughs) Steve Rogers first. I would say Tony Stark first. Um, So if you guys have opinions and you're a patron of ours, please submit those opinions to us and we will put them on the podcast. And we'll end this podcast with a question from Alex. Alex, our patron, Alex Leonis. Which character would you like to see get a standalone film or series and why? This character has to have been in an MCU film already and they can't already have their own standalone 
or can't have one announced. So even including the TV wow, series. so many rules. Lots of rules. So that, that makes for a more compelling question. So you, I'll go first. Okay. I actually would love to see a series on the Wasp, but as the original Wasp, the one that gets lost in the... Uh, Quantum Realm. Oh, yeah, sure. That would be fascinating. Janet Van Dyne. Janet Van Dyne. And if you went back and, and also had Hank Pym be a part of that series, that would be a really compelling, interesting either movie or I think it would be even better as a TV serial. I like it. First, I would love to see um, a film centering on Bucky Barnes as Captain America. Ooh. And watching Phase him. four, dude. I know. <laughs> Watching him trying to live up to being Captain America and live up to Steve's legacy. Okay. Um, I would like to see an a film on Okoye. Yeah. And um, see, not a, not necessarily a prequel per se. Okay. But maybe something that um, furthers her story as her own character because hmm. she's. Very, very loyal to T'Challa, and that's a fantastic dynamic. Yeah. But I think there's a whole lot in that character alone that we could mine and learn more about. Okay. And then lastly, I would say Gamora. I would love to see uh, a solo film on Gamora, and maybe that would be a prequel. Maybe seeing a little bit more about um, what made her the assassin that she was. Cool. I'm down with all that. I'd also like to see a Killmonger movie. Um, oh, yeah. That would have to be a prequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think that would be really fascinating. And there's a lot of great characters out there. So let us know who, like, maybe you can send us your answers to Alex's questions. Who would you like to see them do an MCU film about that has appeared in a movie but doesn't have their own solo film yet? So let us know about that. Hit us up on Twitter, at The Story Geeks. Hit us up on Instagram, at The Story Geeks. Or send us an email, thestorygeeks at gmail.com. We'll read them throughout this whole MCU season. That's it for today's show. Special thanks to Helen O'Hara from the Empire Podcast for joining us. This is just episode one in our MCU series leading up to Avengers Endgame. We've got a nerd fight about Spider-Man coming up. We've got another podcast with Helen O'Hara where we're digging into Thor's character journey. And those podcasts are just a few episodes of what's coming up in this MCU series. So make sure you're subscribed to hear all of our MCU episodes. If you want more content from the Story Geeks related to Iron Man and his character journey, head on over to thestorygeeks.com. This week you'll find blogs from Ashley and Anthony. And if you head over right now and become a supporter of the Story Geeks for $2 a month or more, you'll unlock access to this week's Aftercast, where we just talk about more character journeys from the MCU. Coming up next week on the Story Geeks podcast, we're fighting over the best Spider-Man. So don't forget to subscribe. It's more MCU content. If you enjoyed today's show or any of the Story Geeks podcast, please share our show with a geek friend or review the Story Geeks podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening in, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. <laughs>